There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, it's Amy McDonald's here. Welcome to this edition of the Arsenal Audio Program. Arsenal versus West Bromwich Albion, 50th Anniversary Edition. Sunday, May the 9th, 2021. Kickoff, 7 p.m. The contents. The manager, Mikel Arteta. The captain, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Voice of Arsenal. Six key moments. Match action. Tottenham versus Arsenal. Player feature, Pat Rice. Match action. Arsenal versus Liverpool. Fan feature. 14 times. Community. Forward Arsenal. Academy. Arsenal women. Visitors, West Bromwich Albion. Match action. Newcastle United versus Arsenal. And teams. Manager's Notes, Mikel Arteta. We are all devastated after Thursday's defeat at the Emirates. Like everyone, I'm sure, we were really, really down at the final whistle. We wanted to deliver something for this football club and get to the final. We wanted to go through and win it, get in the Champions League next season and give something to our fans. Unfortunately, though, we came up short. We had moments in the second half. We hit the post, then we had an empty goal to put the ball in the net. So those small margins can define these ties. And on Thursday, we came up short. We were on the wrong side of those margins. I think there are so many reasons for the performance, and many things went against us. We had to play some players that have been injured for a long time. They weren't able to train much before we had to use them on Thursday evening. In the warm-up, we lost one of our main players in granite, so we had to change the game plan at the very last minute. I think we suffered in the first half with the ball because we weren't strong enough in the first phase. We made it difficult for ourselves. We looked like we were in a rush with no time or composure. We changed it in the second half, though, and we looked much better. We created enough chances, certainly more than them. I think from that respect, we deserved to win the game, from what we produced, but we couldn't score that defining goal. When you lose a semi-final or a final, you'll always have regrets. There will always be things that you wanted to do differently. 
What it comes down to is that we didn't play at our best over the two legs. Certainly in the first half an hour in Villarreal in the first leg and the first half at the Emirates, we were not at our best. But even still, we were in the tie after all that and we could have easily been through to the final. We fought until the end and we could have won the game 1-0 and that would have been enough to go through. But we didn't arrive individually in the best possible way in the defining moments, those moments when the big players have to step up. We have four games left now this season, and now is not the time to make conclusions from this year yet. We need to look ahead. Yes, on Thursday we had to swallow a huge disappointment for everybody, but we had a terrific run in the competition with the very difficult teams that we had. Now we have another home game today and our responsibility is to go and win these remaining Premier League games and give us a chance to see where we finish. We have to pick ourselves up. We have to be ready to fight again. We'll analyse what we did on Thursday, but I'm telling you, we arrived in these moments not in the best condition and that's one of the reasons why we went out. During those defining moments, we didn't put the ball in the net when it mattered. That cost us. It cost us the tie in the end and now we are out of the competition. It's my job now to pick these players up. I'm convinced I can do it, and we can finish the season strongly. But now it's not about talking, it's about showing it on the pitch. That's our challenge now, starting tonight. Lastly, I want to join everyone here at Arsenal in celebrating the 50-year anniversary of the double the team achieved in 1970-71. An amazing achievement from an amazing group of footballers. It is something Arsenal supporters still talk about with great warmth and pride and I think it's great that everyone at the club is commemorating this special anniversary. Captain's Notes Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang Thursday night was incredibly disappointing for everyone at the club. We know we had a great chance to progress in the competition and get to the final in Poland, and then to try to reach our objective of winning a trophy. But it just didn't happen for us. We struggled to find our rhythm in the first half, and didn't give Villarreal enough problems. And when we had a chance, the luck wasn't there for us. When I hit the post with the volley and then the header in the second half, I thought we started the second half with more energy and put them under pressure but we just couldn't maintain that drive and ultimately we just didn't find a way through Villarreal. I thought my header was in when it hit the post, but it just wasn't going to happen. Like I said, we are really upset about going out of the competition at this stage, for ourselves, for the club and most of all for you the supporters. It's been such a difficult season for fans and we desperately wanted to give you something positive this season. I'm just so sorry we couldn't do it for you. I have had a really difficult time with my illness in the last few weeks, but now at last I feel close to being 100%. In my mind I have felt good and ready for a while, but physically it was really tough. In fact I would say it was the worst moment of being sick in my life. I had fever for three days in a row, all day and all night, and the paracetamol was having no effect. So we decided I needed to go to hospital. I was very down and lost four kilos in weight. It was a difficult moment and I think my family was a bit scared to see me like that. I'm very thankful for the treatment I received. The doctors and all the staff did a great job and as I say, 
I'm ready to lead the team again now. So for a few reasons, definitely this has been the most difficult season for me of the past few years. I had some tough times at the start of my career as well, but that's life. You need to keep focusing and keep working. It's true that it has been difficult for me this season, off the pitch as well, but you have to accept criticism when it comes. Of course it hurts, like it would anybody. I'm a human being. Everybody was looking for me to score more goals this season. I know that. I'm aware of that. And so maybe I feel responsible for the situation we are in this season. I'm very motivated to finish the Premier League season strongly. I always demand more from myself. I know I can do better. And hopefully I've still got time to show that this year. Of course, I had some regrets about how things have gone this season. And as I said, I feel responsible too for that. So I want to take the lead and give something back to the club and the fans. I know everybody is waiting for something from me and I'm desperate to do that. I'm the captain. Everybody looks to me to lead on the pitch. I want that responsibility. I like that responsibility on my shoulders and it's time to repay that faith everybody has shown in me. I really hope this is the last game we play at the Emirates with no fans inside. It's been a really, really difficult time for a lot of people, and for me as well, it was tough. I'm used to seeing my family quite often, because they come to every single home game at the Emirates, and I love to have them there. And the fans as well. We all want to see people back at the stadium, because I think I'm a player who needs these emotions inside the stadium. I need the energy from the fans to help me perform better, and so I can't wait to have some of you back for our last game. And then looking forward to next year, we all hope it can be a much, much better year. Lastly, I know that we are celebrating 50 years since the team won the league and FA Cup double in 1970-71. As players, we know this achievement was an extremely difficult thing to do, and those players must have been very special. We still see the pictures around the club of this team and they, like all of the amazing teams from the past who have played for Arsenal, inspire us to strive to bring more success to the club. Voice of Arsenal. Voice of Arsenal. Thierry Henry inducted into the Premier League Hall of Fame. Arsenal legend Thierry Henry has been named in the official Premier League Hall of Fame. He is joined as one of the first two inductees by Premier League record goal scorer Alan Shearer. The Hall of Fame recognises and celebrates the exceptional skill and talent of individuals who have graced the Premier League since its inception in 1992. It is the highest individual honour awarded to players by the league. Thierry won the Premier League's Golden Boot Award a record four times and scored a club record of 170 Premier League goals in 258 appearances for Arsenal. He netted more than 20 Premier League goals in five consecutive seasons between 2001 and 2006. He is also our all-time leading scorer with 228 goals. He won the Premier League twice when he was a key member of the Invincibles team, which went unbeaten during the 2003-2004 title-winning season. Along with his scoring prowess, the Frenchman contributed 74 assists during eight Premier League seasons, including a joint record 20 in 2002-2003. 
To be inducted alongside Alan Shearer as the two first inductees into the Premier League Hall of Fame is more than special, said Thierry. When I was young, I just wanted to make sure I could get a pair of boots. And now we're talking about the Hall of Fame. During my career, I wanted to play hard and make sure I was fighting for the cause because that's all the fans want to see. If you asked me at the start of my career about entering the Hall of Fame, I wouldn't have believed you. It's an amazing honour. Premier League Chief Executive Richard Masters said Alan Shearer and Thierry Mouy are two world-class players who lit up the Premier League throughout their time in the competition. Both players were capable of scoring every kind of goal, including some of the best we have ever seen. Omri broke individual and team records during eight seasons with Arsenal when he became a footballing icon. He has the talisman in the Invincibles team and his four Premier League golden boots during a five-year period reflects the impact that he had. There are more places up for grabs at www.premierleague.com Hall of Fame and on the Premier League app where you can vote. Only until the end of today for further inductees including former Gunners Tony Adams, Sol Campbell, Ashley Cole, Patrick Vieira, Dennis Burkamp, Ian Wright and Robin Van Persie. Congratulations Lacquer. Andre Lacazette is our April Player of the Month. The French striker was in impressive form and claimed nearly two-thirds of the votes cast in our official online poll. Lacazette caught the eye with a fine performance in our 3-0 victory at Sheffield United, scoring twice, including a potential goal of the season contender at the end of the following team move. The forward then went on to bag a brace of our Europa League quarter-final semi-leg against Slavia Prague in the Czech Republic. Lacquer received 60% of the votes cast, with Nicolas Pepe in second and Saka in third place. And at the time of going to press on Friday to print, Alexandra Lacquer's superb goal against Sheffield United was in the running for a Premier League's Budweiser Goal of the Month for April. The Frenchman was up against West Brom's Callum Robinson versus Chelsea, West Ham's Jesse Lingard and Pablo Formal's both goals against Wolves, Diana Dinkonga versus West Ham, Liverpool's Trent Alexander-Arnold, Newcastle's Alan St. Maxim and Leicester's Kechi against Crystal Palace. The award was announced Friday. Fingers crossed for you, Laka. Tonight's programme. We hope you enjoy the special focus we have shone on the heroes of our season 1970-71 in tonight's programme. Yesterday marked exactly 50 years since we sealed the league in the FA double, a victory over Liverpool at Wembley. A double had only been previously achieved once in the 20th century, when at the time when smaller squads and difficult playing conditions made winning both major competitions almost a mythical feat. In 1970-71, players and the coaching team of Bodie Mee and Don Howe, they were a very special group, and we hope the 20 pages of this content in this issue give fans an indication of what to look for for the heroes 50 years ago to write this very special chapter in a history an achievement that still inspires us today. Notice board. Happy 80th birthday to David Laws. With love from Shirley, Stephen, Liz, Caitlin, Kieran, Nicola, David and Samuel. Arsenal remembers. Brogan Marie Phillips Townsend. 
born October the 25th, 2020, taken to the stars April the 13th, 2021. Daughter to Jaden and granddaughter to David, she already showed a desire to kick along and would have made a star footballer one day. Paul Morris, rest in peace to an absolute whopper who was loved by everybody he met and nearly as much as he himself loved Arsenal and hated Spurs, a larger-than-life character with a heart of gold. He'll be forever missed by all. Ref Watch Lancashire's Peter Banks is at the evening's referee and will be Peter's fourth Arsenal game this season, but his first at the Emirates Stadium. He presided over our away win at Leicester in September, followed by a 1-0 FA Cup defeat at Southampton. Most recently, the 3-0 win at Bramall Lane last month, one of the less experienced officials in the Premier League. His first campaign as a referee in the top flight was last season, and his only Arsenal game was a 4-0 home win over Norwich City. Mogo's top. Mohamed Elali now tops the appearance table for Arsenal in the Europa League history. He came on as a late substitute against Villarreal in the first leg to make what was his 31st outing in the competition for the Gunners. He scored three times in those 31 games, all long-range efforts against Brossia, Donkon and Olympiakos. The Egyptian midfielder also appeared in the competition for a previous side, Basile, and he has played 56 Europa League games in total. Only four players, Daniel Caruco, Andres Ulmer, Jermaine Lenz and Senik Lukic have played more. Victory for Arsenal would see West Bromwich Albion relegated from the Premier League for a joint record fifth time along with Norwich. It would be their 11th top flight relegation. Only Birmingham with 12 have suffered more. Whilst it would be manager Sam Allardyce's first relegation from the Premier League. West Bromwich Albion have lost more top flight matches against Arsenal, 65, than they have versus any other side in their history, with 39 of those defeats arriving in London. West Bromwich Albion star Sam Allardyce has lost 17 Premier League games against Arsenal, won five, drawn seven, only losing more games in the competition versus Manchester City. In fact, Allardyce has never won an away against Arsenal in the Premier League, losing on each of his last nine visits. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang became the sixth Arsenal player to score 10-plus goals in each of their first four Premier League seasons with the club after Ian Wright, Dennis Bergkamp, Thierry Henry, Oliver Giroud and Alexandre Lacazette. The striker has always had a hand in 20 goals in 17 Premier League appearances against newly promoted teams. 16 goals and 4 assists. Six key moments. Arsenal historian John Sperling pinpoints six moments from the 1970-71 double season that proved key to the Gunners' success. Division 1, August 22, 1970. Highbury, Arsenal 4, Radford 3, Graham, Manchester United 0. After starting the season with two draws, Arsenal romped a victory against the visitors in front of the match-of-the-day cameras and an enormous 54,117 crowd. Star of the show was Gunners striker John Radford, who helped himself to a hat-trick. 
ably assisted by burly forward Ray Kennedy, drafted into the starting lineup after Charlie George broke his ankle in the 2-2 draw against Everton on the opening day of the campaign. George Graham, now deployed in midfield, also scored with a trademark header, and goalkeeper Bob Wilson made a memorable save from George Best, plucking the ball away from the Ulsterman at the last minute as he looked certain to score. The victory was a huge morale booster, recalled Wilson, and set us up superbly for what proved to be the most memorable of campaigns. European Fairs Cup First Round September 16, 1970 Stadio Olimpico Lazio 2 Ginaglia 2 1 penalty Arsenal 2 Radford 2 The Fairs Cup clash with Lazio played out in Afario Stadio Olimpico ended 2-2 with John Radford grabbing two fine goals but it was the clash between the players from both teams afterwards following a banquet in a Roman restaurant which really grabbed the headlines and cemented the Gunners' team spirit. The street brawl, instigated by Lazio players, threatened to get out of hand before manager Bertie Mee strode forward, ushering his players onto the team coach. The Gunners' players defended one another to the hilt, and Bertie Mee spoke years later of how the incident in Rome further cemented team spirit at the club. Keen to ensure that the second leg passed off without incident, UEFA appointed 1970 World Cup referee Rudi Glockner to officiate. The East German official booked five Lazio players, but Radford and George Armstrong scored to ease Arsenal into the second round, following the comfortable 2-0 home win. FA Cup semi-final, March 27, 1971, Hillsborough. Arsenal 2, Storey 2, 1 penalty, Stoke City 2, Richie Smith. If ever a match summed up the indomitable spirit of the 1970-71 double-winning side, it was the epic semi-final clash at Hillsborough. Seemingly down and out to Tony Waddington's lively and skilful Stoke side, Arsenal snatched a draw from the jaws of defeat with a late Peter Storey-inspired comeback. Goals from John Ritchie and Dennis Smith gave Stoke a 2-0 half-time lead, and if Potter's forward Jimmy Greenoff had hit the target instead of blasting the ball high into the Spion cop, the tie would surely have been dead and buried. But the Gunners somehow fought back. Story blasted a powerful high volley past Gordon Banks to reduce the deficit, and then, with time almost up, Story kept his cool to steer a penalty past the England goalkeeper to grab Arsenal what seemed an impossible 2-2 draw. A disheartened Stoke lost the replay 2-0, as Arsenal reached their first FA Cup final for 19 years. Division 1, April 17, 1971. Highbury, Arsenal 1, George, Newcastle United, 0. Arsenal flatlined their way to a 1-0 win on no fewer than 10 occasions in the league in 70-71. But the victory over Newcastle encapsulated the Gunners' ability to nab vital victories despite not being on top of their game. On a bumpy Highbury pitch, Arsenal looked laboured and ponderous on occasions. But Charlie George's much-televised scorching half-volley, which flew past Liam McFall, secured two precious points for Bertie Mee's side on the day that title rivals Leeds United slipped up at home against West Bromwich Albion. Three days later, in another desperately tight Highbury clash, 
George blasted home from the penalty spot to condemn visitors Burnley to relegation in another 1-0 win. By that stage of the season, George explained, it was all about holding your nerve. Division 1, May 3rd, 1971, White Hart Lane, Tottenham 0, Arsenal 1, Kennedy. With an estimated 50,000 disappointed fans locked out, Arsenal locked horns with their North London rivals at White Hart Lane in the ultimate derby match which decided the destiny of the 1971 Division 1 title. In a tense match, Arsenal prodded and probed, knowing that they needed a goalless draw or a win to snatch the prize. With 89 minutes gone, George Armstrong delivered a pinpoint cross for Ray Kennedy, who headed home high past Tottenham and future Arsenal goalkeeper Pat Jennings to secure Arsenal's first league title for 18 years. Gunner players and fans celebrated the team completing the first leg of the historic double long into the night, and although the remaining footage of the clash is grainy, the memory burns brightly half a century later. FA Cup Final, May 8th, 1971, Wembley, Arsenal 2, Kelly George, Liverpool 1, Highway, after extra time. On a boiling Wembley afternoon, Arsenal won the FA Cup after battling back from going a goal down to Steve Highway's opportunist strike early in the first period of extra time. After 101 minutes, Eddie Kelly's flick appeared to have been guided home by fellow Scott George Graham, but replay showed that Kelly had the final touch. There was no doubt about the goal that won the double. Ten minutes after Kelly's equaliser, John Radford slipped the ball to Charlie George, and the former North Bank regular drove home from 20 yards past a despairing Gray Clements. His iconic Jesus Christ Superstar celebration has been much discussed in the years since, with George explaining it thus, I was out on my feet and needed a lie down. Division 1, Match Day 42, 7.30pm, Monday, May 3rd, 1971, at White Hart Lane. Tottenham Hotspur 0, Arsenal 1. First half. After 41 league games, the First Division campaign all came down to the final match of the season, at White Hart Lane of all places, the home of our local rivals. We went into the game knowing that a win or a goalless draw would be enough to pip leads at the top of the table and earn our first league title for 18 years. Even a scoring draw would not be enough, as Leeds would be crowned champions on goal average. Martin Peters clipped the bar early on for Tottenham in front of 51,992, but Charlie George and George Graham went close for Arsenal as we began to take control. Second half. Ray Kennedy came close to opening the scoring in the second half. He was lurking in the right place when a Spurs half-clearance fell to him outside the area, but his powerful left-foot shot ended up with the fans behind the goal. The 19-year-old did not have to wait long for his moment of glory, though. We had been knocking at the door throughout the second period, only to find Pat Jennings in fine form in the Spurs' goal. Eventually, however, the goal came, with just two minutes remaining. George Armstrong stood a cross up from the left wing near the byline 
and Kennedy, just outside the six-yard box, rose to head into the roof of the net. The hosts poured forward in search of the equaliser that would deny us, but Bob Wilson's safe handling calmed our nerves and we held on to claim a record eighth title. Player feature, Pat Rice. Very few people in the history of the game know the feeling of winning the league and FA Cup double in English football. Fewer still have experienced winning it more than once as both a player and a coach in different generations. But Pat Rice belongs to that most exclusive of clubs. Having joined the club as an apprentice aged 15, his breakthrough in the first team came five years later when he became a regular at right-back at the start of the 1970-71 season. A fully committed, wholehearted defender, he missed just one game all campaign, forming part of a miserly back four that conceded only 29 games from 42 league games. He was ever-present in the FA Cup run, getting his hands on the trophy that he would go on to win again as a player in 1979, and four more times as first-team coach alongside Arsene Wenger. The first of those was in 1998, Arsenal's second double, and four years later he was at it again, as the Gunners became the first club ever to win three doubles in three different decades. Now, on the 50th anniversary of that legendary win in 1971, Pat looks back on that historic achievement and tells us the secret of the side's success. What's the first thing you think of when you remember the 1971 season? For me, the first memory that comes into my mind, and it may seem strange, but I remember the team sheet for the game at White Hart Lane going up at Highbury the day before the game, and it said report time was three o'clock. We all thought that was strange because kick-off wasn't until 7.30pm, I think, and it's only down the road because we used to get the bus from Southgate. Anyway... The next day, when we all got on the coach, there were cars absolutely everywhere. It was just amazing. And at one stage, it looked like we wouldn't make the game in time, even though we had left three hours early. Tottenham High Road especially was rammed. It was like every Arsenal fan had taken the day off work. So it looked like we weren't going to make it. The coach had to drive up on the curb, and then we saw some of the wives and girlfriends of the players, so we stopped to pick them up as well. Anyway, I think we got into the dressing room eventually only about 30 minutes before kick-off. It was unbelievable. What were your emotions before that game? Did being late make you more tense? It wasn't ideal preparation, maybe, but by then we were just thinking about the game. We knew what we had to do. We knew defensively that we were strong and you couldn't really see them scoring. We knew if we'd played to our ability they wouldn't score and that's what happened. It's a great feeling to have that confidence. That was the way I felt about it anyway. That was your breakthrough season. You became a regular at the age of 21. That's right. It's the way it happened. The first game of the season was Everton away and what normally happened is that Peter Storey was moved into midfield to pick up Alan Ball so I came in to play at right back. Well, we drew that game. Then we played at West Ham on the Tuesday. Peter went back to right back and I was out of the team. 
we drew nil-nil, I think, and then after that they went back to using Peter in midfield, so I got the spot at right-back, and basically kept my place there from then on. So it was due to the fact that we had played Everton in the first game that the double-winning system or formation came to fruition. That West Ham game was the only game you missed throughout the double. How did you cope with playing every few days? Well, it was certainly better than training. There were a few of us who played near enough every game, and training was never light between the games either, not with Don Howe. No chance. We trained how we played. It was always full commitment. We had so many big personalities in the team, though. Our captain, Frank, was an unbelievable personality. The word defeat never came into his vocabulary. So for me, as a young guy, to have these guys like John Radford, Peter Simpson and Bob McNabb, who was an unbelievable character too, as well as being a terrific fullback. For me, it was a great learning process and hopefully one that I made the most of. When did you get the feeling during the season that you could achieve something special? The double had only been won once in the previous 70 years at that point. To be perfectly truthful, we didn't really think about it. We just went into every game and, first of all, tried not to be beaten. If you can't win the game, don't lose it. That was our motivation. And with those players I mentioned, we had real winners. You know how people say teams have a winning mentality. Well, that's what we had. We had George Graham, Bob Wilson, Ray Kennedy, George Armstrong too. These guys had come up the hard way. Some of them would have had jobs too when they first started playing, so it was very different. That's not to say they wouldn't have made it if it was like it is today, but it was the way they were brought up and might explain the mentality. Everyone remembers the game that clinched the title at White Hart Lane, but what other games stood out for you that season? I remember beating West Bromwich Albion 6-2 at Highbury one weekend. When we came into training on the Monday, Don Howe called a meeting. He brought us in to the halfway house, which is a small room halfway down the old tunnel at Highbury, where we held player meetings. We went into the meeting feeling good after a big win, but then Don absolutely laid into us all. He must have gone on for 45 minutes. It was untrue. The reason he was so mad was he wanted to know how the smallest player on the pitch had headed both goals for West Brom. That was the kind of ruthlessness that came through the whole team. What are your recollections of the cup final? The players looked completely exhausted in the footage. How demanding was that game to play in? Going into that game, from my point of view anyway, I knew that at least we had already won the league. All of our efforts that season had been rewarded with the title, so my personal feeling was that at least we have already got some silverware to show for it. So we went into the game as champions, and from my point of view, the pressure was off. But yes, the game was tough. I'll always remember after the game, I asked our physio to go up and get my medal for me, because I was too tired to do it. He talked me out of it, thankfully. We were so exhausted, though. It was a really hot day, too. And, of course, we were against a top-class side in Liverpool. Both sides had individual players who could win games, and one of them was Charlie. 
We knew what he could do because we saw it all the time in training. He scored goals like that often, so we were elated when he did it at Wembley, but we weren't surprised. How does it feel to realise this was all fifty years ago? It is crazy, really, because all I've got to do is look in the mirror and I'm as beautiful as I ever was. Do you keep in touch with the other guys on the team? Yeah, I spoke to Sammy yesterday, actually, and I did a podcast with Bob the other day. Frank doesn't live far from me, and George too, so I see them still. We always try to get together once a year as a team as well. You won the double again as part of the coaching staff in 1998, then in 2002. Did you ever speak to those players about the first double and your role in it? I'm not the kind of guy to talk about what I've won in the past. In fact, it wasn't until Bob Wilson told me that I realised I have been involved in more trophy successes for Arsenal than anyone else as a player or coach, so I never really spoke to the players about it myself, but if they ever asked me about it, I would tell them. Do you believe that the club's past achievements can inspire the next generations? Yes, I think the players can. It comes down to them. Speaking personally, playing alongside somebody like Frank McClintock, who had already been to finals with Leicester, you have a lot of respect for that. The will to win, the determination he had was infectious, and that carries on in future generations and players coming through. I saw that as a coach as well, with the invincible side, for example. You had people like Tony Adams, Patrick Vieira, Dennis Bergkamp, and that gets passed on to the younger players. All you have to do is watch them play, and it rubs off even more so when they are winners. Back in 1971, were you inspired by previous Arsenal sides? Did everybody talk about the team of the 1930s back then? Yes, but really it was in 1970 when we won the first cup against Anderlecht that was the big moment for us, because then we had matched the achievements of the past. All the photos that were up of the boy Bastin, the great Alex James and others, they could all be taken down because we had made our own history, and had our own success that could be celebrated. We all desperately hope there is more to come now from the current generation, and they can go on to add their own piece of history for the club. Pat Rice Honours as a player, FA Youth Cup, 1966, First Division title, 1970-71, FA Cup, 1971-1979. As assistant manager, Premier League title, 1997-98, 2001-2, FA Cup, 1998-2002, 2003-2005. Community Shield, 1998-1999, 2002-2004. The photos in the print version of the programme have the following captions. First page, Pat, shortly after turning 22, taking on Chelsea in the 1971 double season. Opposite page right, Pat clears the ball ahead of Steve Highway in the FA Cup final. Opposite page left, now assistant manager, celebrating a second double in 1998 with Dennis Bergkamp. Below, Pat, far left, 
and joined the trophy parade through Islington in 1971. FA Cup Final 3pm Saturday, May the 8th, 1971 at Wembley Stadium Arsenal 2, Liverpool 1 First half After a nervy start by both sides Liverpool, coming into the game after finishing 5th in the table began to look dangerous on a hot, sunny afternoon at a packed Wembley Stadium But our defence, as so often this season, stood firm marshalled by Footballer of the Year Frank McClintock. It was becoming an increasingly tactical battle, forcing Charlie George to take aim from 25 yards, but his shot sailed over. Ray Clements then saved well from a George Armstrong header after he was found by John Radford. At the other end, Bob Wilson denied Alec Lindsay to keep it goalless at the break. Second half As the match progressed, the hot conditions began to take their toll on both sets of players. Radford fired straight at Clements after superbly shifting the ball onto his right foot inside the area before George Graham headed against the bar from close range, getting on the end of a long Radford throw-in. From the resulting corner, Lindsay scrambled the ball away off the line and the game became more stretched in the closing stages. Wilson made a couple of late vital stops to ensure extra time. Extra time. Just two minutes into extra time, Steve Highway finally broke the deadlock, beating Wilson at his near post from a tight angle inside the box. We responded well though and levelled at the end of the first period. Substitute Eddie Kelly prodded a shot goalwards, George Graham failed to make contact, but either way it was in the Liverpool net. With less than ten minutes remaining, we got the winner. George fired home a rocket from 20 yards, giving Clements no chance to win the cup and seal a stunning league and cup double. Fan feature. I was there. Tony Wickenden is one of the lucky fans who saw us win at White Hart Lane and at Wembley. He recalls this very special season. I'm 67, I'm from South London. Our original home, of course, the Arsenal, was my dad's team. He brought me up right, so to speak, by taking me to home games with his pals Vic, Richie and Mickey. My dad remains at home and in the ashes at the ground at Highbury at the North Bank. What a brilliant club we are allowing this to happen. Class. My wife Pauline is a season ticket holder with me and my three boys, all men now, Phil, James and Chris. We are all North Upper at the Emirates. For the 1970-71 season, I'll be going for six years. My first game was against Wolves on August 24th, 1963. I was nine. We stood in the West Lower. I was ushered down the front by the wall with my little wooden collapsible stool to get a better view. I also had a pretty hefty rattle. We lost 3-1, but I got to see my favourite, Alex Skirton, my dad's favourite, George Eastham. I never looked back. In my teens, it was mostly on the North Bank. As for the seventy seventy one season, I remember there was the expectation of what we might achieve. Always a dangerous thing, Bertie Mee's team. As me and the fan have been in successive League Cup finals in the 68-69, we lost them both against Swindon. No no offence, but that night at Highbury in April, when we beat Angelect and won the Fairs Cup, was one of the best ever. 
I'm ashamed and a bit proud too to say that was many of those thousands celebrating on the pitch after the game. At that point, anything seemed possible. But we got two home games in the 70-71 season and a few away games with the supporters club when I could afford it. What brilliant value the coaches were. The building sense of excitement and possibility after Christmas was something that we gave a constant extra buzz to normal life. The sense that something unbelievable was possible, accompanied by projecting just how you feel if it didn't happen. As for most things in life, the truly memorable things are what stick most vividly with you. And for me, there are four in 1971. Number one, I met my wife, 46, a fellow gooner at the Fellowship Inn in Bellingham. Number two, the semi-final replay at Villa Park on March 31st. Number three, the night of May the 3rd at Spurs, the first of two league wins there. And number four, the FA Cup final on May the 8th. The semi-final replay was a day after my 17th birthday and my mum wrote me a note to get me off school. Severe tooth pain and headache. I went with my mate Stevie Proctor who fancied the day off too. We went to Euston on my Lambretta, so we'd have transport when we got back from Villa Park. What a night, and at the start of the anticipation of the final, the worry about whether I would get a ticket. All you had to do was get the little vouchers from the programme to affix your application, and I was too short. I bought two missing programmes from the Arsenal shop in Arville Road, and my chemistry teacher showed me how to remove the invalid stamp without damaging the voucher. Best science lesson ever. OK, it's out there. Bang to rights, as they say. But it felt justified, so I miss those games for good reasons. Illness and a family wedding. Fingers crossed I wasn't caught. But before the final, there was a little matter of the league to win at Spurs. Mum to the rescue again. Another tooth-related note. An urgent dental appointment this time. At least there was some consistency in my ill health. Barry Lovell and I got to the ground about 11.30am to queue to get in. The road leading to the Park Lane end was absolutely rammed from early afternoon. At one point we had to climb over a car to keep moving forward. They were almost the lucky ones to get in. There must have been nearly 50,000 people outside. Ray Kennedy's goal two minutes from the end left me literally on my knees as the crowd swayed forward. I had a mixture of ecstasy and fear that has never been reproduced. What a night. I was there with my wife and the boys when it happened again, but that first night was special. My cup final ticket arrived the next day. Russell, the wonder of science, Barry, didn't have enough vouchers, so I went on my own. But from Baker Street, I was with a massive Gooner family. A beautiful day and a beautiful goal to win it. Born is the king of Highbury. More hugging to fellow Gooners and off to Trafalgar Square for the fountains. Magical, magical times with more to come under Arson, Merci Monsieur and hopefully Mikael. Fourteen times, Theo Walcott. Last August, we lifted the FA Cup for a record-extending 14th time. But it's not just our rich, illustrious history in football's oldest knockout competition that is synonymous with the number 14. The club has many other links with the number, and we continue our series by looking at the man who filled the Arsenal number 14 shirt for longer than any other player since squad numbers were introduced, Theo Walcott. It happened on the 14th, May 14th, 2016. 2016 Women's FA Cup Final, Arsenal 1, Chelsea 0. 
Arsenal women will play their FA Cup fifth round tie against Crystal Palace next weekend. Their most recent triumph in the competition was achieved at Wembley Stadium in 2016. It was only the second showpiece final to be held at Wembley and attracted a crowd of 32,912. Chelsea went into the game as holders, but Arsenal, managed by Pedro Martinez Loza, grabbed a famous 1-0 win thanks to Daniela Carter's first half strike. On 18 minutes, the England forward scored a spectacular curling effort into the top corner from just inside the area, and it proved enough to win the cup for a record-extending 14th time. 14. Theo Walcott The man charged with wearing the Arsenal number 14 shirt after the departure of our record goalscorer Thierry Henry was 19-year-old Theo Walcott. Theo had already been at Arsenal for nearly three years when he took over the responsibility of the number 14 shirt in 2008, having worn the 32 shirt in his first few seasons, a number he finds himself in again back at Southampton. Speaking at the time, Theo said that 14 was actually his second choice. I actually asked for number 8 at first, but Vic Akers said that Samir Nasri had it, so I wasn't complaining there, he explained. Then he said number 14 was available, so straight away I said, I'll have that. Thierry was my idol. He looked after me when I was first here. It was brilliant to train with him every day and watch what he did. He was the best striker I've ever seen. For me, it is best to just think of it as a number. But then I knew what to expect when I picked this number. The forward went on to wear the number with great distinction over the following nine and a half seasons. More seasons than Henri had worn it for. He scored exactly 100 goals in the shirt, to add to the eight he netted as a number 32. His England career also took off after his change of number, scoring an unforgettable hat-trick away to Croatia just a month after making the change. His gunner's career came to an end in January 2018 after he had racked up 397 appearances and had taken himself to joint 15th place on the all-time leading scorer's chart for the club. Community Providing an assist The recent easing of lockdown restrictions has enabled us to both restart our existing programmes as well as begin some new initiatives. One of these is Assist, which is a new programme, developed and delivered as part of our PL Kicks targeted work. Assist is designed as an engagement and diversion project that will act as an early intervention for young people in Camden and Islington. The programme is a strong strategic partnership between Arsenal in the community, the Metropolitan Police Service, youth offending teams from Camden and Islington, as well as the targeted youth services from both boroughs, and involves young people who are either existing participants on our programmes or referrals from our partner agencies. The participants come to the hub for a weekly session and work towards accredited qualifications in football leadership and conflict resolution. These sessions are, as much as possible, peer-led, which helps develop participants' leadership skills, as well as the vital life skills of communication, teamwork, planning and problem-solving. During the practical football sessions, 
Participants are able to put what they have learned into practice, as well as getting used to meeting and working with new people from different areas. Here are the thoughts of some of our strategic partners on the programme. Arthur Waters, Restorative Justice Officer, London Borough of Camden. The ASSIST programme is a great way to engage young people. By bringing them to the Arsenal Hub, young people are brought into a space where they can enjoy playing football while also learning some important lessons about conflict resolution. Using the medium of sport really helps to engage young people in this subject and also enables them to access the wealth of services provided by Arsenal after the programme's completion to move them towards an exciting future. From Inspector Tim Owen and PC Haley Lazarus, Metropolitan Police Service. Our local youth engagement team are really passionate about helping young people through the challenges they face in difficult situations. The support and commitment from Arsenal and other community partners will, we hope, leave a long-lasting legacy that helps to reduce violence and keep all residents in Camden and Islington safe. Forward Arsenal Number 11, Martin Ogard Arsenal Football Club prides itself on always looking forward, so we're asking our players to gaze into the future to see what's on the horizon. What are your plans for the rest of the day? There is not a lot I can do at the moment, as we are in quarantine after the game in Spain. But once I've finished training, I will head home, chill for a bit, but watch the Champions League that's on, and that's about it. I'm living in an apartment, so at least I'm not in a hotel all the time. But my routine is very similar to each day at the moment. I spend half a day in training ground and the rest of the time I'm at home relaxing, getting my rest. What do you normally do to like relax between games? Like a bit of everything to be honest, I don't usually play too much PlayStation but lately I've started again because there's not much else to do. Otherwise I watch TV, watch the football, FaceTime with my family and friends. If the weather's nice I try and get out. We work hard every morning on the training ground so I like to take it easy when I get home. Have you found it difficult since moving to London, as we have spent most of the time in the lockdown? It's true, I've not been out as much as I really should do. I went out a couple of weeks ago to eat, but apart from that, we haven't been able to do much. It has been difficult to change country and teammates all the time like this, so sometimes it's good. It's been quite boring, but it has been for a lot of people. It's really nice to be at this club, and I like being at the training ground around everyone and my teammates, so it's not too bad. Did any of your family move here with you? No, I've been here on my own. I had a friend here at the beginning, and now I'm on my own again. I'm kind of used to it, though. I've been alone for a couple of years living abroad, so I don't mind. It's just a shame that it's not possible to travel so that my family can't come and watch the games. That is a real shame, but other than that, it's fine, really. How about the rest of the week? Do you plan your schedule around your training programme and the fixture list? To be honest, not too much. I tend to have the same routine from day to day. Every day is training at the morning and then I get home and relax. It's more or less the same every day. Obviously things are a bit different on match days, but normally the weeks are pretty similar. And how does this routine compare to what you used to do in Madrid? It's basically the same. I know some teams always go to hotels the night before the game, but where I've been, I've been lucky that I can just sleep at home before the game. 
and I prefer that. How far forward do you have to plan your career in the short term? Is it difficult because you are on loan? Yes, it is difficult and it's hard to say whether it will happen. So that's why I try not to focus on it too much for the future, to be honest. I just go by day to day. Now that I'm here, I want to finish the season as well as possible. That's all I'm thinking of at the moment. There's no point looking further than that at the moment. At the end of the season, we'll see what happens next. So you're only 22. But have you thought about what you want to do after your playing days? No, it's hard to say at the moment. I love being involved in football, so maybe I want to keep being involved in some way or the other around the sport. I want to go back to Norway and live there. Start a family, settle down, so maybe I'll be involved in football in Norway. But who can say? Maybe when I'm older, I'll be tired of football. But I haven't really planned anything or started any coaching qualifications yet, for example. Is there anything you're looking forward to doing away from football when you retire? Have some weekends off? (laughs) No, nothing specific. But it'd be nice to have some holidays in Norway when you can go skiing, because winter holidays in Norway are really special. Those are the things I'm not allowed to do for now. So yes, it would be nice to do some normal things that you can't do as a footballer. At the moment, the plan is definitely to go back home and to live in Norway. I do like it there. I also plan to travel a lot, see a lot more of the world and get experience of places that you visit as a footballer but you never really see. We go to a lot of places, we are very lucky to travel, but really when we go somewhere all we see is the hotel room and the road to the stadium. It would be nice to see places more. Finally, you are told there is a spare seat on the next trip to the International Space Station. Would you go? Yeah, why not? As long as I can come back again. I wouldn't want to go. Why wouldn't I? Developing strong young gunners. In this issue, Young Gun, Charles Sago Jr. Match reports, Youth Cup defeat. News, a landmark debut. Remember, Craig Eastman. Stats, results and fixtures. Young Gun, Charles Sago Jr. Talking to Aidan Small. Born, Kingston-upon-Thames, July 24, 2004. Signed for Arsenal at under-12 level. Height and weight, 5 foot 7 inches, 66 kilos. School, Coombe Boys School, New Malden. Positions, left wing, right wing or attacking midfield. My football journey started when I was just five years old. As a kid, I used to spend countless hours watching my favourite players on YouTube. Ronaldinho, Maradona, Messi, players like that. And ever since then, I've been in love with the game. It's impossible not to be when you're watching them. I think my generation is quite lucky in that sense, because we have access to so much footage online that would have been difficult to get in previous generations. So I could watch my heroes at the click of a button, really. I can't thank my parents enough for their role in my love for football too. Without my mum, I wouldn't have ever played for my first local team, so I'm very grateful for that. She knew someone whose kid was already playing there, and she wanted me to get involved from the moment I could join a club. I can't lie, things went pretty well there, and after just a few months, I had every local team and academy chasing me. It was pretty crazy, and one of my first trials was with Chelsea, but in the end they decided I wasn't good enough. I was really nervous on the day, and to be honest with you, I didn't really know what was going on or what trials were all about. 
I was just trying to have fun. I was so young at the time. Anyway, my parents told me that I had a lot of options and we ended up going to Fulham, who were next to Chelsea and they wanted to sign me straight away. I loved my time there and they were brilliant to me. Jack Henry Francis was there when I joined the club too, so we've been together for a little while now and seen each other grow up and develop as players. It's been class to play alongside him for so many years, but obviously we both eventually switched to the red side of London. I remember my parents telling me that Arsenal had been interested for a little while during my third year at Fulham, but they explained that they didn't want to make the move so early because I was only a young boy and it was a big journey to Walthamstow every day for training, so they wanted to make sure I was ready for it. I was buzzing when they told me they were still interested because I genuinely grew up admiring so many Arsenal players. I actually used to love watching Mark Overmars because I was an out-and-out -out winger at the time and he wasn't the tallest player, but he was absolutely rapid and caused defenders nightmares with his movements. It made me a little nervous knowing that I had all these scouts coming to watch me, but eventually with my parents we decided that we couldn't miss out on this opportunity and that's when I joined the Arsenal. As soon as I arrived I could already see the difference in facilities. Fulham were amazing for me, but it was far more local and there wasn't much space compared to Arsenal. I remember even being blown away by the reception and the canteen. All of the boys were so nice to me when I joined too. Growing up, I was quite a nervous and shy person, but they instantly made me feel welcome and like I was part of the group. It was tough because I had to prove myself as a player all over again, and I was a right winger at the time, but all of my coaches and teammates were so supportive of me and I've loved every moment here since. If I had to describe my style of play, I'd say that I'm a creative player, and I'm at my best as a number 10. I've also been working on my development as a left winger this season, and that works well for me because I'm quite pacey. I try to pick the ball up in tight spaces because I'm very good at wriggling my way out of those areas and getting away from my man. I'm quite double-footed too. In terms of players that I look up to, I really like Neymar and the role that he plays for PSG as a number 10. He is such an intelligent player to pick up really smart positions on the pitch to influence the game. He can drift both inside and outside, and I really like that about him. One-twos around defenders, dribbling, shooting, incredible movement. He's got everything you want from a creative player. As for the season so far, I always knew that it would be a competitive one in terms of minutes because there's a lot of boys fighting for pro contracts. It's been difficult for me at times because I just want to be out there and there have been a few stages in my under-18s career so far where I haven't been getting much football and I've just been training and that put a dent in my confidence. But I've kept my head up and reminded myself to keep working hard because the opportunities will come. Since then, I've been on a good run of games and doing everything possible to impress Ken and Greg. I'm ready to show what I can do. Rate yourself. Scores out of 100. Speed, 85. Shooting, 85. Dribbling, 88. Strength, 50. Passing, 86. Defending, 30. Charles Sago Jr., lowdown. Earliest memory of football playing football in the back garden with my dad at the age of six. Got me into football, mum and dad. 
First player looked up to, Ronaldinho. Favourite football shirt, Ghanaian shirt from the 2010 World Cup. Favourite pair of old boots, F50s. Best friend in football, Jack Henry Francis. Team supported as a child, Arsenal. Best goal of all time, Leo Messi's solo goal versus Getafe. Best moment of my career so far, scoring a hat-trick for Arsenal and winning the under-13 Premier League Cup. Best goal I've scored, solo goal from the halfway line. Best game I've had, when I scored a hat-trick versus Watford under-15s. Best piece of skill I've done in a game, roulette. One stadium I'd like to score in, Camp Nou. One type of goal I'd like to score, Rabona. A player to score a one-on-one to save my life, Cristiano Ronaldo. If I could change position, I'd play right back. My fave football memorabilia, assigned Cristiano Ronaldo top. Another sport I'm good at, table tennis. Ambitions off the pitch, to be a positive and polite individual. Important non-playing attributes, determination and patience. Biggest lesson learnt off the pitch at Arsenal. Being persistent and patient and working hard on and off the pitch to get an opportunity. Favourite training drill, finishing. Me, favourite footballer of all time, Ronaldinho. Most played Spotify artist, Lil Babe. Favourite pre-match song, On Me by Lil Babe. Best football attribute, dribbling. If I wasn't a footballer, I'd be a runner. FA Youth Cup quarter-final Friday, April 30th, Anfield. Liverpool 3, scorers, Waltman 22, Norris 36, penalty, Muzial Oski 51. Arsenal 1, scorer, Aziz 64, penalty. Arsenal, Edger Harry, Norton Cuffey, Kirk, Monlouis, Ogungbu, Henry Francis, Aziz, Flores, Butler Oyadeji, Substitute, Adeo, 75. Edwards, Substitute, Richards, 81. Taylor Hart, Subs not used, Gratzik, Ave, Jeffcott, Foran, Gaspar. Our FA Youth Cup journey came to an end in the quarterfinals as we were beaten 3-1 by Liverpool at Anfield. Ken Gillard was forced into one change from our 3-1 victory over West Ham in the previous round, with Nathan Butler-Oyeji replacing Omari Hutchinson. But we were unable to replicate that same attacking intensity in this last eight match. We dominated possession throughout the opening exchanges and came close through Kiddo Taylor-Hart, who cut inside from the left and fired over the bar but Liverpool went on to open the scoring against the run of play. With their first spell of pressure on our back line, Connor Bradley crossed to the far post and James Balagazi headed down before Matt Waltman converted from close range. This boosted the host's confidence and after forcing a goal-mouth scramble, Miguel Aziz attempted to clear the danger and inadvertently tripped Tyler Morton who snuck past his right shoulder to gain a vital touch of the ball. James Norris stepped up and converted from 12 yards. Things went from bad to worse following the restart too, as Liverpool extended their advantage through Mateusz Muzialowski. The youngster raced forward on the counter and wriggled past Alex Kirk inside the area 
before firing back across goal into the far corner. Miguel Aziz eventually pulled one back from the spot, firing in the top corner after Keon Edwards was fouled inside the area. But despite our best efforts, it proved to be nothing more than a consolation goal. Premier League 2, Saturday, May 1st, Meadow Park. Arsenal 1, scorer, Moller, 83, penalty. West Ham United 2, scorers, Coventry, 31, penalty. Tobeku, 86, penalty. Arsenal, Smith, Alebiusu, substitute, Gaspar, 67. Foran, Dinzei, Bola, Akinola, Ave, Oyegoke, Lewis, substitute, Richard, 78. Moller, Ideo, subs not used. Hilson, Jeffcott, Sago Jr. Our under-23 suffered a disappointing defeat in their penultimate game of the Premier League two season as they were beaten 2-1 by West Ham United. Nikolaj Moller returned to the score sheet for the first time since March and looked set to secure us a share of the spoils. But a third penalty of the afternoon handed a late winner to the Hammers. We made a sloppy start at Meadow Park and it didn't take long for the visitors to punish us. Tom Smith denied Adempo or Dubeko from close range with an outstanding save early on, before the Hammers striker won a penalty on the half-hour mark, forcing a late challenge from Jonathan Dinzey, who missed the ball and caught the man. Connor Coventry stepped up and sent Smith the wrong way to convert. We responded well, though, and within 60 seconds had a penalty of our own. It was a well-worked move straight from kick-off, and Tolaji Bola was fouled after making a storming run inside the penalty area. Moller took responsibility from 12 yards and duly found the back of the net via the inside of the post. We should have kicked on following the restart, but it was the Hammers who took control as they created a number of promising opportunities. Kai Corbett converted from close range only to see his strike ruled out for a foul on Smith before we were eventually caught out on a blistering counter-attack. Nathan Holland led the charge and forced a goal-mouth scramble as we defended with our bodies on the line, but despite eventually winning the ball back with a strong challenge, the referee believed that Bowler had fouled Corbett and he pointed to the spot. With less than five minutes remaining, Odubeko kept his cool and secured all three points for the visitors. Academy News Academy Loan Watch. Five of our youngsters were involved for their respective loan clubs last weekend. In the championship, Daniel Ballard played the full 90 minutes and helped his defence keep another clean sheet as Blackpool beat Northampton 3-0 at Sixfield Stadium. The win moves the Tangerines up to fifth in the table after 44 games this season, with Ballard playing a key role throughout. Elsewhere, Tyrese John Jules played 66 minutes as Doncaster beat Rochdale 2-1 at Spotland Stadium. Taylor Richard scored an impressive brace before Matt Don notched a late consolation for the home side, with our talented young striker providing the assist. Defender Mark McGuinness played the entirety of Ipswich Town's 2-1 win against Swindon Town. James Norwood struck twice for the visitors, before Brett Pittman struck late on with a consolation goal. It was a tough day in the conference premier for young defender Joseph Olovu as his Wheelston side went down 4-0 on the road at third place Stockport. 
Fellow defender Harry Clark also had a day to forget as Oldham lost 4-1 to Mansfield at Field Mill in League 2. Richards makes PL2 debut. Congratulations to Armani Richards, who made his Premier League 2 debut aged just 16 last week. The youngster came on as a second-half substitute in our 2-1 defeat to West Ham last weekend, becoming the first schoolboy to play for our under-23s or equivalent since Rhys Nelson made his debut in December 2015. A skillful and pacey centre-forward, Armani joined us earlier this season from Chelsea and has impressed early on, already scoring his first goal for our under-18s in a 1-1 draw with Leicester City. A childhood gooner, Armani only turned 16 back in November and is currently an England youth international. Congratulations, Luigi. Luigi Gaspar also made his debut for our under-23s last weekend, coming on in the 67th minute against West Ham. The 17-year-old was unable to stop us from slipping to a 2-1 defeat, but gave his all in the heart of our midfield. A tenacious and technical midfielder, Luigi made the switch to North London at 15 years of age from Brazilian outfit Corinthians, who he joined age 7. Luigi is the son of our current technical director and member of the 2003-04 Invincible side Edu. Keep up the good work, Luigi. Academy alumni. Catching up with former Arsenal Academy players as they continue their pro careers away from the Emirates. Craig Eastman. Sutton United stand a real chance of reaching the Football League for the first time in their history and they are being inspired by an ex-Arsenal Academy star who has become a legend at Gander Green Lane. Sitting second in the National League, four points behind Torquay, but with two games in hand, Craig Eastman's team have seven games to make history. Only the champions are promoted, with second to seventh going into the playoffs. An Academy graduate in 2007, with West Brom's Kyle Bartley and an FA Youth Cup winner, Eastman played 10 games for the Gunners' first team, appearing in the Premier League, Champions League and both domestic cups before joining Colchester United in 2013 for £500,000, after spells with Millwall and Wickham on loan. He played 68 times for Colchester, scoring seven times from central midfield, but, after a brief spell with Yeovil, was without a club until Sutton United snapped him up in September 2015. He has subsequently been part of a hugely successful period for the Surrey club, famously reaching the fifth round of the FA Cup in 2017, where he had the opportunity to play Arsenal, and reaching the National League playoff final in 2018. Courted by league clubs over the years, he has stayed loyal to Sutton, and the 30-year-old has now played 182 games for them scoring 18 goals. Let's hope his commitment to the National League side earns them a place in League 2 come the end of May. Arsenal Women News and reports from England's most successful women's football team. Katie's a keeper. We're delighted to confirm that Katie McCabe has signed a new long-term contract with the club. The Republic of Ireland captain has made 113 appearances since joining the club from Shelbourne in December 2015 
scoring 21 goals. Since Katie's arrival, she has won the FA Cup, Continental Cup and FA Women's Super League title. The 25-year-old versatile winger has established herself as a core member of our squad, notching 12 assists and 4 goals in just 24 games this season. Katie said, I'm absolutely delighted. I love this club and I feel like we're in a really good place and that we're ready to push on. I'm delighted it got done and now I'm ready to kick on and help this club win more trophies. It's been amazing ever since I joined the club. There's been ups and downs along the way, but I feel like I'm in a really good place with the team that we've got, the players we've got, and all the staff behind the scenes. I'm really happy to commit my future. Katie McCabe is one of the highlights of the last three or four years here, said manager Joe Montemuro. It's been a project which has been an exciting one. She's been thrown every challenge from the day that we brought her back from her loan, and I think she's just developed into a world-class left-sided player. All credit to her. She personifies exactly what we want from our squad. Congratulations on your new contract, Katie. Kim closing in on 150. Goals in each of Arsenal's last two games against West Ham and Everton have pushed Kim Little's tally up to 143 for the Gunners from just 223 games. There was only ever one player going to be entrusted to take the 94th-minute penalty with the scores at 1-1 against Everton, and Kim duly stuck the ball in the top corner from 12 yards, and the skipper confirmed, It was fine. I don't really feel nerves. I think that's why I'm on penalties. Here's to at least seven more, skipper. The Visitors, West Bromwich Albion. Formed 1878, nickname The Baggies, The Albion. Stadium, The Hawthorns. Capacity, 26,688. Owner, Lao Doshan. Chairman, Lee Priley. Social followers, Twitter, 1.1 million. Instagram, 379,000. Facebook, 843,000. Honours, First Division Premier League winners, 1919-20, First Division Premier League runners-up, 1924-25, 1953-1954, Second Division Championship winners, 1901-1902-1910-2007, Third Division League One playoff winners, 1992-1993, FA Cup winners 1888, 1892, 1931, 1954, 1968. League Cup winners 1966. The West Midlanders have been fighting an uphill battle since relegation all season and although they have raised eyebrows with the odd shock result against some of the Premier League's leading lights, notably an amazing 5-2 win at Chelsea last month on their last visit to the capital, they entered this weekend needing something of a miracle to stay in the division with four fixtures of the season remaining. 
Ironically, it was immediately after one of those surprise results, a 1-1 draw at Man City in mid-December, that the West Brom board decided to change the manager was needed. So out went Slavy and Billick, the man who had steered them as runners-up spot behind Leeds last season's championship, and in came veteran Premier League campaigner Sam Allardyce. Two and a half years after his last job at Everton, while there was sympathy at the timing for Billick's dismissal, the fact was that West Brom were 19th in the table and had only won one of their last 13 matches. And, at home, had only team behind them was Sheffield United. It was pretty obvious that West Brom were going to find life tough in the Premier League after heavy defeats in their opening two matches, 3-0 at home to Leicester and 5-2 at home to Everton. And despite Big Sam's reputation as a retriever of Loft's causes, a man who had never suffered relegation in a long and winding career, had even earned himself a short stint as England manager, the shortage of top-flight quality in the squad and loan signings. He continued to hamper the club's survival ambitions with points and wins proving just as difficult to come under a new manager as the old one. The Baggies' hopes of launching a slurge of safety to the second half of the season appeared to be undone when they lost successive home games at the turn of the year to Leeds and to Arsenal. And although hope was renewed by a temporary win away to Wolves in their last encounter, Allardyce's first victory was not until April when they strung together back-to-back Premier League three-pointers, that astonishing 5-2 win at Stamford Bridge and 3-0 home win over Southampton. Another 3-0 defeat against Leicester stopped Allardyce's men in their tracks, however, with the concession of a last-minute equaliser and a 2-2 draw at Aston Villa took more wind out of their sails, before Monday night's 1-1 draw at home to Wolves. The result had left them 10 points adrift of safety, coming in after the 35th round of matches and with the knowledge that defeat this afternoon would officially confirm their relegation out of the Premier League. Mutual admiration Swashbuckling striker Kevin Campbell broke into the Arsenal first team as an 18-year-old at the end of the 1987-88 season and after learning his trade with the loan spells at Leighton Orient and Leicester City went on to play 228 games for the Gunners, scoring 59 goals. A big money move, £4.2 from Nottingham Forest came in the summer of 94 and after four years at the City ground, a couple in Turkey, and then six hugely league successful with Everton. Campbell, by now 34, joined West Brom in January 2005. His immense experience was instrumental in Albion, rising from the bottom of the table at Christmas to starve off relegation that season, although they were relegated the following campaign, at the end of which Campbell left for Cardiff after playing 48 games and scoring six goals for the Baggies. Premier League Records Arsenal Football Club wins 17, 4 draws, West Bromwich Albion wins 4, Arsenal win presented 68, all-time record, Arsenal Football Club wins 72, draws 32, West Bromwich Albion 38, Arsenal win percentage 51. We have won 10 of our last home Premier League games against West Brom, failing only in November 2004-1-1 and September 2010 2-3. We have scored 
in all of our 25 Premier League meetings with West Bromwich Albion. The best 100% scoring record one side has against another in any competition. There has only ever been one red card in this fixture in the Premier League for Pierre Mertesacker in a 2-1 win in April 2013. Scouting report by Michael Cox. Sam Allardyce has never previously been relegated from the Premier League, a record which seems likely to end this season. There has, however, been an improvement in the last few weeks with a 5-2 win at Chelsea, followed by a 3-0 victory over Southampton. There are elements of the direct approach that Allardyce has become renowned for over the years, but also an emphasis on getting technical players into dangerous positions. Goalkeeper Sam Johnson has probably been at the baggies' best performer this season which says so much for the type of campaign his side has endured. Allardyce has decided upon a relatively settled back four. However, the only debate on whether Dara O'Shearer or Semi Ali play alongside former gunner Kyle Bartley, who skippers aside from centre-back. Camille Fairlong and Connor Townsend are both naturally attack-minded full-backs, but Allardyce has asked them to play more cautious roles, and West Brom did enjoy a run of February and March, conceding only three goals in six matches. In stark contrast from their defensive performance for much of the campaign, Allardyce has sometimes switched the five-man defence, including for the shock win at Chelsea, but has tended to stick to 4-4-1-1. Allardyce generally depends on a couple of good January signings when trying to rescue the club from relegation, but the greatest change has been the centre midfielder Turkish holder player Yoko Yoko on loan from Silia. That's been excellent at times in winning possession and distributing it eventually, but the more officially low knee Ainsley Mayton Niles has been exceptional in central midfield. Yet another low knee, Connor Gallagher, is likely to replace him. The star man is Brazilian Matias Pereira, sometimes moved to the right if Allardyce plays 5 4 1 or 4 5 1, but most comfortable with number 10. The role finding pockets of space and shooting dangerously from the edge of the box. He scored four goals in his last five games, including two penalties, and is also excellent at scoring from free kicks. He leads the side's goal scoring and assisting charts this season. The right wing spot should go to Matt Phillips, who was outstanding in the recent 3 0 victory over Southampton, and is a classic winger who bursts forward powerfully on the break. Callum Robinson is a converted striker offering speed and good movement, although he struggled to score in this season's Premier League. Particularly four of his five goals have come under the matches against Chelsea, which underlines the fact that he's most comfortable on the break against side who play high up the pitch. Up front, another low knee, maybe Dangi is a classic Allardyce centre forward and an old-fashioned physical number nine who thrives on crosses. His first goal for the club against Manchester City featured him almost jumping over Victor Lindoff to head the ball home. And that type of approach plays certainly plays to his strengths. He only netted two goals since, however. Premier League, match day 34, 2pm, Sunday, May 2nd, St James's Park. Newcastle United 0, Arsenal 2. Scorers, El Neni 6, Aubameyang 66. Match stats, total shots, Newcastle 5, Arsenal 19. Shots on target, Newcastle 1, Arsenal 5. Corners, Newcastle 3, Arsenal 7. Offsides, Newcastle 1, Arsenal 1.
Fouls, Newcastle 10, Arsenal 9. Possession, Newcastle 39%, Arsenal 61%. Newcastle United, 1. Dubrovka, 23. Murphy, 18. Fernandez, yellow card, substitute 72nd minute. 2. Clark, substitute 84th minute. 3. Dummett, 11. Ritchie, 36. S. Longstaff, 8. Shelby, 24. Almiron, yellow card, substitute 73rd minute. 13. Wilson, 10. St. Maxim, substitutes Shah, 72nd minute, red card. Joe Linton, 73rd minute. Gale, 84th minute. M. Longstaff, Lewis, Hendrick, Croft, Gillespie, Anderson. Arsenal, 33, Ryan, 2, Bellerin, 23, David Luiz, substitute 52nd minute. 6, Gabriel, 34, Zaka, yellow card. 8, Ceballos, 25, Elneny, 11, Odegaard, substitute 85th minute. 14, Aubameyang, substitute 78th minute. 35, Martinelli, 12, Willian, substitutes Leno, Marl, Chambers, 52, Cedric, Partey, 85, Smith-Rao, Saka, Pepe, 78, Nicotia. First half, after five minutes we scored our fastest goal in the Premier League this season. A wonderful pass from David Luiz found Hector Bellerin on the right. His cross wouldn't fall for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but the ball fell straight to Mohamed Elneny on the edge of the area, and he fired his first ever Premier League goal past Martin Dubrovka. Matt Ryan touched over a looping Alain Saint-Maxime shot on 17 minutes, then punched away the resulting corner. Dubrovka acrobatically palmed away Granit Zaka's shot that was destined for the top corner. El Nenny then saw a header cleared off the line by Miguel Amiron as we ramped up the pressure, and David Luiz glanced ahead a wide, one of 13 attempts on goal for us in the opening half. Second half. After the break, Aubameyang acrobatically steered home a fine Gabriel Martinelli cross to double our lead, and we frequently looked to exploit the open spaces on the counter. Bellerin raced away on one such attack, only to see his shot blocked, but we had to be content with just the two goals, despite playing the last few minutes with an extra man, after Newcastle had Fabian Shah sent off for a reckless foul on Martinelli. We had done enough though to earn all three points and end a three-game winless run. Teams for Arsenal, manager Mikel Arteta. Red shirts with white sleeves, white shorts and socks. 1. Bernd Leno, goalkeeper. 2. Hector Bellerin. 3. Kieran Tierney. 6. Gabriel. 7. Pokeo Saka. 8. Dani Ceballos. 9. Alexandre Lacazette. 11. Martin Odegaard. 12. Willian. 13. Alex Runason, goalkeeper. 14. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang 16. Rob Holding 17. Cedric Suarez 
18. Thomas Party. 19. Nicolas Pepe. 21. Callum Chambers. 22. Pablo Mori. 23. David Lewis. 24. Rhys Nelson. 25. Mohamed Elnani. 30. Eddie Nkitia. 32. Emil Smith Rowe. 33. Matt Ryan, goalkeeper. 34. Granite Sharka. 35. Gabriel Martinelli. 38. Follerin Balogun. 41. Ben Cottrell. 66. Miguel Aziz. For West Bromwich Albion, manager Sam Allardyce. Blue and white striped shirts, white shorts, blue and white socks. 1. Sam Johnston, goalkeeper. 2. Darnell Furlong. 3. Kieran Gibbs. 4. Hal Robson Kanu. 5. Kyle Bartley. 6. Semi RJI. 7. Callum Robinson. 8. Jake Livermore. 10. Matt Phillips. 11. Grady Diangana. 12. Matthias Pereira. 13. Camille Grosiski. 14. Connor Townsend. 17. Empire Gianni. 18. Connor Gallagher. 19. Romain Sawyers. 20. Branislav Ivanovich. 21. Kyle Edwards. 22. Lee Peltier. 23. Robert Snodgrass. 25. David Button, goalkeeper. 27. Dara O'Shea. 29. Carlin Grant. 30. Ainsley Maitland-Niles. 31. Andrew Lonergan, goalkeeper. 35. Okay Yokuslu. 58. Czech Diaby. Match officials. Referee Peter Banks. Assistant referees Neil Davis, James Mannering. Fourth official David Coote. VAR Mike Dean. Assistant VAR Dan Robathen. Today's other fixtures. Wolves vs. Brighton and Hove Albion at 12pm. Aston Villa vs. Manchester United at 2.05pm. West Ham United vs. Everton at 4.30pm. The Arsenal Foundation, helping young people fulfil their potential through education and sport. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Reconnect in comfort and safety. Fly better. Our A380 is back in the skies, so let's get back to the things we've missed. Fly to your next destination with confidence, knowing that your health and safety is our top priority at every step. And we'll even give you free COVID-19 cover while you're away. Emirates, Arsenal official partner. Sky Sports. Watch it live. Feel it all. Arsenal are home. New 2020 to 21 home kit. On sale in store and online. Future forever faster humor. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.